Good morning, and uh, as Pastor Rick had already uh, told you, last week I started a message series that uh, we are going to be continuing today, and we're going to be continuing for the rest of the month of February called Fast Forward. Fast Forward. And what we did is we uh, uh, talked about the fact that there are certain things in Scripture that we can put into practice, and when we put those things into practice, we can we can experience a spiritual acceleration, a spiritual acceleration in our lives. Now, uh, when I use that term, a spiritual acceleration, I'm not talking about, and I mentioned this last week, but I'm not talking about uh, uh, moving quicker in life. I'm not talking about rushing around. I'm talking about not talking about making life more busy or more hectic, because how many of you know that if you're an American, you're already doing that? It's part of our culture to rush and make things more hectic. We don't know how to slow down. So I'm not talking about moving forward quicker in life or rushing or making life more busy or more hectic. This spiritual acceleration that I began to talk about last week is about becoming more effective and fruitful. It's about working smarter, not harder. I mentioned or used the example that if you've ever done a home project and you've, de ever, you've done it with the wrong tool, you know what I'm talking about. It takes twice, if not three times longer to work on a home project with the wrong tool. So what I'm talking about spiritually is working smarter, not working harder. It's about gaining spiritual momentum or having a sudden forward or upward surge in our spiritual life. How many of you know that sometimes our spiritual lives can be like a car. We can be moving quickly, but not moving anywhere. You, you know what this is like. When you've had a moment in your life where you've been going through some sort of spiritual crisis, or maybe you have something going on in your life, and you respond to that crisis with an immediate spiritual list of spiritual activities. I'm going to pray. I'm going to worship. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to do all these things. And, and you move spiritually. You begin to move quicker, but you're not moving anywhere. It's like a car that is spinning out. How many of you know what it's like? I, I used the example last week of having a 1983 Chevy Camaro with a V6. You don't ever spin out a 1983 Chevy Camaro with, v, with a V6 in it. Okay, you're not, it's, it just doesn't happen. You don't have enough power. See, listen, this message is about avoiding or how to avoid a spiritual spin out. It's about getting spiritual traction if you've been feeling spiritually stuck. And if you've ever felt spiritually stuck, you know what I'm talking about. It's about accelerating your spiritual life so that you can fast forward for the purpose of moving forward. How many of you know that in every one of our lives, there are moments where God speaks loud and clear and says, it's time to move forward? It's time to move forward. One of those moments for many of you was in January of 2018 when we had a weekend of prophetic ministry. Can I tell you that if your word that has been spoken prophetically over your life has not been fulfilled yet, that does not mean it has expired. It doesn't mean it's expired. If it hasn't been fulfilled in your life, then it is still out in front of you. 
And that time of ministry in the history of our church was one of those moments where God spoke loud and clear to individuals and to our church corporately. And and the, the resounding noise, the resounding thing that God was doing in that time of ministry was saying, Redeemer's Church, it's time to move forward. It's time to focus on the future that I have for you as individuals and as a church. If you have ever received a prophetic word that has given you direction or talked about your future and it has not been fulfilled yet, it has not expired. It's still before you. And there are things that we can do to move forward into that. See, last week we talked about one of the ways in which we experience a spiritual acceleration is through the spiritual discipline of fasting, of fasting. And I use the example of how the Holy Spirit led Jesus to fast before, say before, Before. to fast before he ever moved forward in his ministry. Because in his fasting in the wilderness, he was going to be supplied with the power to overcome every obstacle, every hindrance, and every challenge that the enemy would want to put in front of him to hinder the progress of the kingdom and his ministry. Now, how many of you know that the enemy will work overtime to obstruct God's purposes in your life from ever happening. That is his goal. That's why fasting forward is so important. Listen to me, if I could sum up the main point last week. When we fast forward, we are sowing uh, spiritual seeds into our future so that when we arrive where we are heading, we will be able to break through the opposition that the enemy is planning. When you fast forward, you're sowing seeds into your future to counter what the enemy has in store. When we fast forward, it's one of the ways in which we can stay one step ahead of what the enemy is planning. When you fast forward, you are on the offense, not the defense. See, I don't know about you, but I want to live my life in a way where the enemy has to react to me, not the other way around. See, when, when, when we are not sowing seeds spiritually into our future right now, what ends up happening is when we move forward, we will immediately counter opposition or something that the enemy wants to do to obstruct our progress. And then what we'll do is we will live in reaction constantly to what the enemy is planning out. But when you fast forward and you sow seeds into your uh, spiritual future, what will happen is as you move forward, you will have a power that is supplied from the Holy Spirit to counter the opposition. So you're not living in reaction, you're advancing, you're on the offense. Because now you don't have this problem and you need to go and fast, you fasted into it. So we talked about this last week with Matt in Matthew chapter 17 where there was a man who had a demon-possessed child. And that, that man comes to Jesus and says, I went to your disciples, and they couldn't do anything about it. Can you deliver my son of this demon possession? And Jesus delivers the, the man, or delivers the, son, uh, the man's son of demon possession. And then when the disciples come back to him and they say, what? how were you able to do what we weren't able to do? What was Jesus' response? Jesus' response was, this kind, or sometimes, 
This type of thing only comes out through what? Prayer and fasting. What he was saying when he said that was, I have already done something in the spirit realm before this moment. I've already prayed into this moment. I've already fasted into this moment so that what obstructed you did not obstruct me. And he was using the example of what he was able to do in that moment to tell them, listen, you can sow spiritually into your future. You can pray. You can fast forward so that the opposition that the enemy has planned to obstruct your destiny and the advancement of the kingdom is not opposition anymore. This is what Jesus was doing. Jesus literally fast-forwarded his ministry by fasting forward. And I think it's important to note from last week's message that uh, I talked about the fact that it wasn't enough for Jesus, listen, to be full of the Holy Spirit without being full of the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus got full of the Holy Spirit when he was baptized by John. The Holy Spirit rested upon him after he was baptized by John. And he actually, the Bible says this in Luke 4 or Matthew 4, that he was led into the wilderness full of the Holy Spirit. But it wasn't until after he fasted that he came out of the wilderness full of the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, that was something new to me. Uh, But this week, Pastor Dwight gave me a book called um, Changing the World Through Prayer and Fasting by Derek Prince. And I read a passage of scripture. And uh, if you ever read uh, the word and you come across something that is kind of new to you, maybe a newer revelation, but then you you discover that maybe someone else came to that conclusion uh, themselves and they maybe are well known or they had, you know, are revered for having, you know, a solid biblical background, you get a little bit encouraged. I want to share what I found this week, week as I was reading. Derek Prince said this uh, in that book. He said, when Jesus went into the wilderness, he was already full of the Holy Spirit. But when he came out again after fasting, he returned in the power of the Holy Spirit. It would appear that the potential of the Holy Spirit's power, which Jesus received at the time of his baptism in the Jordan River, only came forth into full manifestation after he had completed his fast. Pretty much the same type of thought process. That you can be full of the Holy Spirit, but not full of the power of the Holy Spirit. But where God is taking you, you need both. You need to be full and full of the power of the Holy Spirit. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to take the rest of the morning by talking about what our lives are supposed to look like when we fast. When we fast. You cannot talk about fasting one time. we got to lay out some parameters of what Scripture shows us about what we do or what we're, our lives are supposed to look like when we fast. Because how many of you know you can fast for a lot of different reasons? You can fast for a lot of different reasons. One of those reasons, in the last several years, we've seen a rise in fasting for the purpose of weight loss in a diet program called keto. You can fast just to lose weight, right? You can fast uh, just to be religious. You can fast for a lot of reasons, but listen to me. Our fasting is to not lose weight, even though we may, Our fasting is to die to our flesh. It's not to lose weight. 
It's to die to our flesh. We may lose weight as part of it, but that's not the ultimate goal. Listen to what Derek Prince says again. He says, fasting is a means by which the believer brings his body into subjection. Our bodies make wonderful servants, but terrible masters. Each time a Christian practices fasting for this purpose, he is serving notice on his body. You are the servant, not the master. When you fast unto God, it will bring both soul and body into subjection to the Holy Spirit. So important. It's serving notice on your body. This is why Paul referred to a group of people in his epistles saying that their belly was their God. Come on, let's, be, let's talk about it. Because we don't talk about gluttony in America. But there's a lot of, we have, we have created a portion of our economy to profiting off of people's bellies being their gods. And we make it as convenient as possible for people to get access to feed the flesh. See, when you fast, you are telling, you are serving notice to your body. You are not in control. You are not in charge. You know, here's another thing, and I felt this as I was preparing. If you are a person who is primarily led by your emotions, you need to fast. You need to fast. Because what will take place is you are not just putting your uh, flesh under the subjection of the Holy Spirit, but you are putting your soul, which is your mind, will, and emotions under the subjection of the Holy Spirit. And when you fast, what you are doing is you are dethroning your flesh and you are dethroning your emotions and putting them under the lordship of the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, you, know, you will find that you will no longer begin to say statements like, I just don't feel, or I feel like. If much of your decision-making processes flow out of that, I don't feel or I don't feel like, you might need to fast to get your soul under control. It's just the truth. And, and we have a world system that is profiting after, uh, after uh, the belly being a god and emotions being a God. So we're going to make everything cater to both. Fast yourself forward. Get your soul in. See, ain't nobody amen to me, but I, I get it. It's okay. I get it. You understand I'm preaching to myself this morning, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Everybody got their helmet on? You good? See, let's take a look at what life is supposed to look like when we fast. Turn to somebody and say, when you fast. See, some of you may be wrestling with fasting and whether or not you want to do it at all. Uh, and in wrestling with it, you may come to the conclusion, as I have often come to the conclusion, well, if God leads me to fast, I will fast. How many of you know you put parameters on God? God, if you speak audibly, I will do it. But I want to encourage you or challenge you with Matthew chapter 6 because Jesus fully expected his disciples 
to engage in the practice of fasting. See, there are moments in your life that Jesus will lead you to fast. But listen to me, those moments where Jesus leads you to fast are not to replace the practice of fasting. They are to complement your practice of fasting. I love what Dwight L. Moody said on this. He said, if you say, I will fast when God lays it on my heart, you never will. You are too cold and indifferent to take the yoke upon you. How many of you, that sounded good. Okay. If I take that slide to another church, I might get kicked out. He said, you are too cold and indifferent to take it upon you. See, fasting is just like every other spiritual discipline. You don't find time for it. You make time for it. Jesus fully expected his followers to fast. Mark chapter 2 talks about this. One time the disciples of John the baptizer and the Pharisees were condemning Jesus' followers because they were not fasting. They're, they're looking at their lives. They're like, you're not doing what we're doing. And so verse 18 says that one time the disciples of John the baptizer and the Pharisees were fasting. So they came to Jesus and asked, why is it that John's disciples and disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but your disciples are not? Jesus answered, how can the sons of the bridal chamber fast when the bridegroom is next to them? As long as the bridegroom is with them, they won't. But the days of fasting will come. Say, will come. When the bridegroom is taken from them. See, how many of you know he ascended into heaven? That means he was taken from them. So right now, at this moment, we are in the days that Jesus said will come when people will begin to fast. So with that being said, let's go to Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. Matthew chapter 6. Jesus is in the middle of a sermon that is famous, famously called the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, this sermon ranges from, I believe, Mark, Matthew chapter 5 to Matthew chapter 7. In it, he talks about a whole bunch of topics, a whole bunch of uh, subjects. And uh, Jesus begins chapter 6 uh, speaking on three fundamental aspects of Christian life, which are giving, praying, and fasting. These were common practices in Judaism. Since the days of Moses, fasting was a regular religious uh, practice of every single Jew. Pharisees fasted twice a week. According to the Mosaic law, every Jew had to fast at least once a year on the Day of Atonement. And so he starts to address the new covenant and what's going to be a part of that. Now, the thing that we need to know about Matthew chapter 5 through 7 in his Sermon on the Mount is Jesus always takes everything that the Mosaic law talked about, but he takes it one step further. He always addresses the issues of the heart. For example, how many of you know when Jesus says, said often in the Sermon on the Mount, if you're familiar with it, he would always, he would start a topic with this. You have heard it was said. For example, when he talks about anger or, or murder, he says, you have heard it was said that you shall not commit murder. He's referencing the Mosaic law. But I say to you that if you even have anger in your heart, where's he taken? He's taken it to the issues of the heart. You, you've already committed murder. You have heard it said 
you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that if you, you even look upon a woman lustfully, you have already committed adultery in your heart. The whole Matthew 5 through 7, Jesus takes, Jesus takes it one step further than the law, and he addresses the issues of the heart. So Jesus, in Matthew chapter 6, when he's talking about giving, praying, and fasting, he begins his discourse on giving, praying, and fasting with this statement in Matthew chapter 6. He says this in verse 1, Examine your motives to make sure you're not showing off when you do your good deeds, only to be admired by others. Otherwise, you will lose the reward of your heavenly Father. Now, Jesus makes a, a connection between two things. He's basically saying this, and this is so important for today. Your motivation as you engage in a spiritual exercise will determine what you will get from God in doing it. Your motivation when you're doing a spiritual exercise, when you're jumping in front of everybody, when you're lifting your hands in front of the entire congregation, when you're praying long, when you're preaching long, Caleb, when you're reading your word, the motivation of your heart matters. Your motivation as you engage in a spiritual exercise will determine what you get from God when you're doing it. In other words, your why matters more than your what. Your why matters more than your what. Why speaks to the motivation of the heart. Jesus was saying that when your motivation is to do something spiritual to please man and not God, you are making an exchange. You are exchanging the rewards of God for the praises of man. We see this in Scripture when Samuel, God speaks through Samuel. Samuel goes to King Saul and, and instructs him, you are to fight the Amalekites and completely annihilate them. Totally annihilate them. And what happens? Saul makes a decision. I'm going to not completely annihilate them. What I'm going to do is I'm going to partially destroy them, but I'm going to keep the best. And when I keep the best, I am going to offer it as a sacrifice to God. Samuel comes back and he says, what, did, what are you doing? See, this is the reality. There was a motivation in Saul's heart, and we found it later because he says that, that the reason why he did it was because he was afraid of what people were saying. And he made an exchange. He lost the kingdom because he had more fear of what man were, were thinking, and he was more hungry for the approval of man than he was for obedience to God. And as a result, that motivation caused the kingdom to slip through his fingers. It wasn't the sacrifice of the best that was a bad spiritual exercise. It was that his motivation behind it was wrong, so God removed the kingdom. Listen to me. Your motivation as you engage in spiritual exercise will determine what you will get from God in doing it. Another way of saying it is this. The effectiveness of what you do in your relationship with God is not tied to the practice of what you are doing as much it is, as it is connected to the posture of your heart when you are doing it. Okay, so if I'm kneeling, matter of fact, today I kneeled in one of the songs. And to be honest, 
uh, there was still something in me. I've done that multiple times, but there was still something in me that was like, I'm kind of worried about people looking at what I'm doing here. But then there was another part of me that was like, I don't, why do I care? See, if I were to remain standing instead of following the leadership of the Holy Spirit to get on my knees, how many of you know my motivation for remaining standing wouldn't have mattered? The posture that I was positioned in in worship would have discounted what I would have been doing because God said, I told you to get on your knees. I don't care about if you're lifting your hands. You are making an exchange whether you know it or not. You are controlled by what man would think about what you're doing. Get on your knees, boy. This is the reality. Your motivation matters. The effectiveness of what you do in your relationship with God is not tied to the practice of it as much as it is connected to the posture of your heart when you're doing it. And so our motivation for fasting is no different. He talks about it in Matthew 6, 16 through 18. He says, when you fast, don't let it be obvious. <laughs> don't let it be obvious. But instead, um, I'm sorry, when you fast, don't look like those who pretend to be spiritual. They want everyone to know they're fasting. So they appear in public looking miserable, gloomy, and disheveled. Believe me, they have already received their reward in full. When you fast, don't let it be obvious, but instead wash your face and groom yourself and realize that your father in the secret place is the one who is watching and all that you do in secret will be rewarded to you openly. The whole point about fasting is this, is it is an intimate thing that you between, do between you and God and keep it secret. If everything you do is for public notice, you have no intimacy with the Father. This is something that God says, I don't want anybody to know about. I want this be, to be between you and I. I will never forget the story of Charles Spurgeon. He was fasting. And a woman came to his house, and I'll talk about this later, about guarding your fast. A woman came to his house on a time period where he was fasting, and she came with some fresh baked goods. <laughs> Happens on fast, I'm just letting you know. The enemy will come with a cheap counterfeit. So Charles Spurgeon is fasting. She says, hey, I've baked these and I've prepared those for you. And Charles Spurgeon says to her, I'm sorry, I can't accept them. She was angry, frustrated. She said, what do you mean? I, I made these for you. I wanted to bring. He said, I'm sorry, I have to turn you down. And she walked away mad at him, but he was not going to give an explanation about why he turned her down because his fasting was done in secret. I'm sorry if you're offended that I won't go out to lunch with you when I'm fasting because I'm not even going to let you know. This is between you or God and I. See, when we talk about fasting, there are corporate fasts, and that's different. You're going to know when everybody's in a corporate fast. Jesus is addressing personal fasts here. He says, don't let it be obvious, but instead wash your face, groom yourself, and realize that your father in the secret place is the one who is watching all that you do in secret and will continue to reward you openly. The reason why he said this is because, listen, they had learned how to fast in observation of the Pharisees. 
And the Pharisees were notorious for performing their spiritual acts in front of everybody. And they wanted everybody to know about it. So they would do it for the applause of men. They would walk around just like they would disfigure their faces. Literally, they would, there was, there's uh, indication that the Pharisees would disfigure their faces by changing. They would put makeup on to make their face like a yellow color so that people knew when they were fasting. And Jesus was like, uh-uh, that ain't what fasting is about. Fasting is between you and God. So uh, Jesus said personal fasting is meant to be done in a way that is concealed and not obvious so that it is done in secret between you and, other, and, <laughs> between you and God. In other words, no Ash Wednesday. Don't put charcoal on your forehead. In observation of Lent, a season of fasting leading up to Easter. Where did that come from? When you were supposed to let people know, oh, I'm observing Lent. Here's, here's how you know. Right here. You see me? No Ash Wednesday. Okay? Let me, let me, give, let me take us to that. That, that. that went over well. <laughs> let me, let me take, take another step. Uh, I don't know if the older generations do this, but there's younger generations. And this cracks me up because I'm like, what's going on? Where people will announce their social media fast on social media. Hey, just want to let you know, you're not going to see me on here for a while. I'm just taking a fast. Yeah, you didn't read Matthew 6 before you met. It's supposed to be done in secret. It just cracks me up. When you take a personal fast, you're not supposed to announce it because Jesus wants to know that it's between you and him. See, one of the things that we always need to ask when we're doing anything spiritual is who are we doing what we are doing for? Who are we doing what we are doing for? When we do in public unto God what should be done in private, we make a tragic exchange. We will exchange God's rewards for the praise of man. And my friends, that is a bad deal. That is, that is as bad of a transaction as any NFL transaction that the Bengals or the Browns have made over the last decade. When you exchange the praises of man for the reward of heaven, you're making a Browns transaction. So, with all that being said, one of the most important things about what it should look like is this. The posture or attitude and motivation of our heart needs to be right when we fast. Our, our motivation matters more than anything else when we fast unto God. See, Isaiah 58 is a perfect example of this. Uh, in Isaiah 58, the people of Israel were fasting and through the prophet of Isaiah, God actually rebukes the Israelites for the way they were fasting. Because the posture of their heart was off. In Isaiah 58.3, he says, Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. Wow. And oppress all your workers. Behold, you, you fast only to quarrel and to fight. And to hit with a wicked fist. 
Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice be heard on high. Is such the fast that, that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it, a, is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? It was a motive. It was a heart problem. So that's the first thing. When you fast, the posture or attitude of your heart matters most. The second thing is this. Fasting is to be God-centered, not flesh-centered. In order for it to be God-centered, your motive needs to be pure. David Livingston, like the famous African missionary, says this. He says, fasting and vigils without a special object in view are time run to waste. How many of you have ever fasted and you're like, I just felt like this was a waste of time. Just be honest. Okay? It's got to be God-centered, not flesh-centered. Your fast quickly becomes flesh-centered when your focus is more on what you are depriving yourself of rather than what you are filling yourself with. See, when you fast, you will find that you will constantly have to compete with the other affections of your heart. And in that competition, the way you keep it God-centered is that you turn back to God. You turn back to God. What does that look like? When I have fasted, the way in which I try to keep it God-centered is when my stomach starts to grumble, I will say out loud, God, I love you more than food. But, and, and I'll start it with, but God, I love you more than this. When my mind starts to say, why are you doing this? Can I tell you that when you fast in your mind, it's like, what's the purpose of this? Do you, do you realize that the reason why you are thinking that is because your soul and your flesh are being dethroned and they don't understand why they got demoted? They have a problem with the demotion. And so when you're in the middle of your a fast and you start to have these thoughts that you're wrestling with, why am I even doing this? What's the purpose? A lot of times that's because your soul, your mind does not understand its demotion. And the way in which you turn it back to God and not on your flesh and not on your emotions is you make a vocal declaration. But even now, when I'm struggling, even when my mind is saying, I don't understand the purpose, God, I love you more than this moment. I love you more than the food. And I'm demonstrating this as I'm fasting. Fasting is to be God-centered. The practice of fasting should be another way in which you physically express worship. Romans 12.1 I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as what? A living sacrifice. That sounds like fasting to me. When you present your body unto God as a living sacrifice, it's a physical expression of worship. <clears throat> the third thing is this. When you fast, declare the purpose of your fast and plan it. When you fast, declare the purpose and plan it. Write down the vision. What do you want out of your fast? Declare it. See, you don't fast by accident. Yeah, I was, we, are, we can be so deceitful. We can justify like, man, I was so busy all day, I didn't even eat a meal. God, accept my fast. 
right? That's not a fast. You fasted by accident. You got to declare the fast. And what I mean by that is, God, on Monday, from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., this is my fast. This is the reason why I'm doing it. And what I am doing is I'm making a declaration before you that between 9 a.m. and 9 p.m., I am devoting myself wholly to spending time with you, to praying, to worshiping, to reading your word, to having a fast from food or from whatever for the purpose of drawing near to you. It's a declaration. It's not by accident. I believe that the phrase, when you plan to fail, you are failing, or when you're failing to plan is planning to fail. When you have that type of approach where you're like, you know what, maybe at noon on Tuesday I'll fast. You're not going to succeed. Because you need to prepare for the fast. And so it, it falls along the lines of Ecclesiastes chapter 5, when Solomon says, when you make a vow, don't delay in fulfilling it. Jesus even said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And I came across this quote that said, without a purpose and plan, it's not Christian fasting, it's just going hungry. It's just going hungry, which is, which is religious. I'm depriving myself. It's a focus on what you're depriving yourself of rather than what you are filling yourself with. If I could have the worship team come forward. Number four, guard your fast. Turn to somebody and say, guard your fast. It is always on a fast that the enemy will want to provide a cheap counterfeit, counterfeit alternative during your fast. He did it to Jesus and he will do it to you. Remember the 40th day when Jesus is hungry, what does he do? A, tell those stones to become bread. He will target what you're fasting from to try to give you a cheap counterfeit to what you are gaining as you are fasting. I can't tell you how many times that I have declared a fast, nobody knows about it, and then out of nowhere, someone I haven't talked to for months is like, hey, let's connect and go out to lunch. Lunch on me. Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. It happens every time. And they don't even know. They're not being used as a pawn of Satan. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is, when I'm fasting, I'm not settling for good. I'm settling for God. So what that means is, when someone, a pastor, Pastor Rick, be like, hey, let's go out and get lunch. I'm sorry, I can't go today. I'm not going to break my fast, even though you have a good intention. I'm guarding my fast. I'm going into it knowing that the enemy will want to create a cheap counterfeit or alternative to, to disrupt my consecration. See, don't allow physical discomfort to deter you. Now, let me just say this. I, I will say this, that if you are considering fasting food and you are on medication you need to at least go to a doctor and tell them what you're thinking about doing. You don't have to tell them the time frame. But what I'm saying is you should be consulting a doctor, especially if you are considering fasting and it's going to disrupt your, your medicine. You should be thinking about that, okay? But 
Guard your fast. Don't allow physical discomfort to deter you. I love what Miles Monroe said. He said, more often than not, when we fast from food, the pains we experience are not hunger pains, they're habit pains. They're habit pains. You, you just, how many, of you, how many of you are on a pretty like, consistent eating schedule? 11 o'clock comes, it doesn't even matter if you're hungry. Your mind sends a signal to your belly, it's time to eat. It's 11 o'clock. That's what he's talking about. It's habit pains, not hunger pains that you will often experience. The, the fifth thing is this. Exercise wisdom on your fast. Exercise wisdom on your fast. If you're fasting food, drink liquids. Keep your liquids up. You know, when, when you are considering the length of a fast, that should be between you and God. Okay, I think a lot of times hear a message on fast, people hear a message on fasting and they get gung-ho. I'm going for a week. Have you gone without a meal? Okay, grow in your faithfulness in fasting. That's exercising wisdom. A lot of times we get pumped. I'm going three days without food and water. Good luck. Grow into it. Exercise wisdom. Grow into the faithfulness in your fasting. Because you're making a vow to God in intimacy that matters to him. Exercise wisdom. Number six, expect you to change, not God. God is not manipulated by your fast. He's not manipulated. God never changes. You change. Fasting does not change God. Fasting changes us because it places in our spirit, our spirits in its rightful place of leadership. It changes us. Catherine Coleman said this, fasting unto God is like hooking yourself up to a big tank of power. Fasting increases the size of the pipe to the power. See, the thing about when Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, it wasn't to gain access to something that he didn't have, because remember, he was full of the Holy Spirit, but it was to tap into something that was already available, and he needed to change. He needed to be emptied. Expect you to change, not God. Last but not least, when you fast, it should cost you something. It should cost you. And I, this can get really religious, and I'm not trying to say that. But when you decide to fast, it should cost you something. The cost may, be, may look different for every single person, but it should cost you something. When you fast, this is what your fast is saying to the Lord. Lord, I love you more than this. I love you more than this. When, when I'm fasting from food, that's what I'm saying. God, I love you more than my mind and my body's desire to be fed today. When I want to demonstrate love to my wife, I'm going to make sure there's a personal cost connected to it. Because when the cost often measures the level of the affection and love. The sacrifice, if I don't sacrifice, do I really love? This is what I mean when fasting should cost you something. What, when we see that scripture says, okay, Jesus said, not if you fast, but when you fast. When, what we do, we start to think about what is the thing that's not going to disrupt my life the least. 
It's like, if I am not fasting, or if, it, you know, there are certain channels I love to fast, but I'm going to find a channel I'd never watch and declare fast. God, I'm a fast from PBS or C-SPAN. I'm fasting from C-SPAN 1 and 2. Didn't cost, you me, cost me anything. The reason why Scripture, I believe, only emphasizes fasting in the food is, number one, in Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek, to fast means to go without food. But it's because I'm telling you, there is no greater God than your belly. Now, I'm not saying be legalistic and not, don't fast other stuff, but I told Pastor Rick this. If, if fasting food is not a sacrifice to me because some people can go days without food, it just doesn't, it's just part of who they are, they, it doesn't bother them. But going without coffee costs me something. God, I love you more than this. What is it? What is the thing that you say every single day, I just can't go without this? Doesn't matter if it's a show. It doesn't matter what it is, fast it. It should cost you something. See, it is an exercise, and here's why that matters. It is an exercise of futility to fast from something that still allows your flesh to remain in control. It's an exercise, if it's, not po it's pointless. If, you're, if your flesh is not being dethroned in your fast, then maybe you haven't given something that's cost you much. David was instructed of the Lord, and we're going to worship in a minute, but David was instructed from the Lord to purchase a piece of land, I love this scripture, from a man named Arana, the Jebusite, for the purpose of building an altar of worship to the Lord. Gad the prophet comes to David and says, David, you need to go do this. So out of obedience, David goes to Arana, the Jebusite, says, comes to him and says, I want to pay for your property because the Lord has said that I am to build an altar here of worship unto him. And Arana is awestruck by the fact that the king would come to him and ask for the property. And so what he does is he goes, he tells David, he says, David, you don't even have to pay me. I will give you this property so you can make your altar. And I want you to hear what David's response to this because this is what it's all about. King David said to him in 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse, 20, uh, verse 24, no, I've got to buy it from you for a good price because I'm not going to offer God, to God, my God, sacrifices that are no sacrifice. He, in other words, he was saying, I'm not going to offer something of worship to the Lord that costs me nothing. I'm going to demonstrate my love for the Lord by the price that I'm willing to pay. When you fast, it should cost you something. Will you stand with me? Now, these last two messages have not been about a corporate fast. We could declare a 21 days of prayer and fasting and ask everybody to sign up for it and participate in it. And we could develop accountability partners and tell you all that. These last two sermons are about, number one, Jesus says when you fast, it should be a, part of, it should be a consistent part of our lives. But these are personal fasts. I'm not coming to anybody saying, you fasting, man? You need to tell me. This is about your relationship with the Lord, 
your fasting with him, to spend time with him, to grow an affection for him, to love him, to be supplied with power, to fast forward for the future that God has for you. And so we sang a song today called Build My Life. And there are some lyrics that I think speak to what happens to us when we fast unto God. They go like this. They say, holy, there is no one like you. I'm telling you, when you fast, you will get a new revelation of God's holiness. There is none beside you. There is a turning of your heart when you fast where you begin to fall in love with God at a greater degree. Open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. I love those lyrics because I'm telling you that when you genuinely fast unto God, there is this gravitational pull of your spirit towards God and there's such intimacy and you begin to love the way that God loves. When you fast, you will not only receive a power from the Holy Spirit, but you will also encounter his holiness and be filled with his heart. So this morning, as we sing this song to close today, I just want you to sing out the lyrics and I want you to be mindful of what's possible when you genuinely fast before the Lord. Amen? All right, I'm going to pray and then we'll worship. God, I pray today that we would be inspired and challenged and encouraged, Father, to begin to practice fasting if we haven't already done that. And Lord, that we would see and know your rewards. God, your word says that when we fast, we are to do it in secret. And God, that you, what was done in secret, you will see and you will reward us publicly. God, it's not just about the rewards. That's a promise. But God, I pray that our hearts would be pure, that our motives would matter and be right, God, as we would fast to fall in love with you and to draw near to you, God, so that we can experience the intimacy of that connection with you, Lord. God, if we've been feeling spiritually stuck, God, I pray that you would speak to those of us in the room that this applies to and that we would walk in fasting and prayer, Lord. God, as we worship you today, Father, I pray that this new thing, this thing from the scripture, God, of fasting would be something that would be added to the foundation that we are building our spiritual lives on. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's worship the Lord.